one and okay. I have to hit this button. Are there we go. So recording with Howard right. Bloom. Sorry, go on. Back in 2000. We're talking about saving Western civilization. So back in 2002, I had watched in 2001 from my roof as the World Trade Center went down. You watched um, that? Yes, I, I first went up and it was like two, um, two torches um, flaming. And then I went up a few hours later and there was a big dust cloud where lower Manhattan had been. A big brown dust cloud. You could not see lower Manhattan at all. And it was an experience of a kind that is difficult to describe because it was so deep. My response was so deep in my gut that I had no way to articulate it. And in 2002, I realized something, um, that every civilization that calls on our idealism says that it will lift the poor and the oppressed. But the Western system has done that better than any other civilizational system in the history of humanity, better than the Chinese system, better than the Islamic system, better than the Russian system, better than the Marxist system. And, um, and my, I was still stuck in bed in those days, even though I'd been able to get up the fire escape ladder, eight steps to the roof. And um, my mentor in neuroscience came over to visit me. And Ted Coons, the guy who discovered what the hypothalamus does. And I said, Ted, I'm at a choice point here. Um, I'm supposed to write my next book, The Big Bang Tango, Quirking in the Social Cosmos, Notes Sort of Post-Newtonian Science. But now I want to write a book to save Western civilization. Which do you think I should do? The next book outlining my peculiar views um, of science or the book to save Western civilization? And he said, write the book on saving Western civilization. Meanwhile, I'd gotten a phone call from Texas, from the office of a guy named Woody Buckner, who at that point was a major CEO consultant and was charging uh, $5,000 an hour or something, you know, $50,000 a day for his consultancy services. Um, and they asked if Woody Buckner could meet with me. He had read, um, God knows what book he had read, but he'd read one of my, at that point, two books. So Woody flew up here and found space in a hotel near here and started coming over every day. Now, that um, began to yank the ideas out of me about capitalism, um, about the Western system, what it was, about why it produced its results. Because here's the track record on Western civilization. West, remember, the bottom line here is that the, only, the, the civilization that has lifted the poor and the oppressed best is the Western system, far beyond that of any other civilization. So the Western system has more than doubled the average lifespan. Um, it, it has added 40 years, 40 years to the average human lifespan. The emperors of China were willing to give all their wealth to get an extra four years. And we have added an extra 40 the Western system has added 35 points to the average IQ. If you pulled in 100 kids off the street who were supposedly shallowed and dumbed down by Facebook and Twitter and um, TikTok, um, and you gave them a Stanford Binet IQ test from 1916, the first year of the Stanford Binet test was actually administered, your students, your 100 average kids, would measure an average uh, IQ of 135 on the threshold of genius. That's another thing the Western system has done. Um, the, uh, if you looked at the salary of the poorest paid worker in London um, in 2000, she was a personal assistant and she was earning more money than an entire tenement full of the poorest paid workers in London had earned in 1850. Um, and the most important thing is that the Western system has increased the peace in the world by a factor of 10. If you lived in one of those lovely indigenous tribes that supposedly live in harmony with nature and at peace with their fellow man, your 
lives of another human being would have been 10 times what they are today. If you had been born in 1650 in England, your odds of dying a violent death at the hands of a fellow human being would have been 10 times what they are today. And so we've increased the peace in the world by a factor of 10. We don't know how we've done it because we don't even know that we have done it. And if, but if our, this gives us an obligation, if our great, great grandparents could increase the lifespan by 40 years, we owe another 40 years to our great, great grandkids. If our great, great grandkids could increase the average IQ by 35 points, we owe another 35 points to our great, great grandkids. If our great, great grandparents could increase the minimum wage by a factor of seven, we owe another factor of seven to our great, great grandkids. And most especially, if our great, great grandparents could increase the peace in the world by a factor of 10, we owe at least another factor of 10 to our great, great grandkids. And we should not be let off the hook for those obligations. So, but, so I had an inkling of this. And um, the, the corporate consultant, the CEO consultant, Woody Buckner, um, gave me some very suggestive chapter titles. I found them remarkable. The most remarkable one was Leading from the Future. And I started to put together a body of work based on what he had inspired in me. That was the book to save Western civilization. And my mentor, Ted Coons, said, the book you have to do most urgently is the book on saving Western civilization. So I started to invent or to, to write Reinventing Capitalism, Putting a Soul in the Machine, which is now called The Genius of the Beast, a Radical Re Revision of Capitalism. And I wrote it to show you why it is so vital that instead of decrying Western civilization as the most violent civilization in the history of mankind and the civilization that invented slavery and the civilization that invented racism, racism all of which is not true, but we'll go back to that in a second, um, I started to pursue a book that would explore this and get this across. And um, when I finished writing the book, well, first of all, when I announced to my agent that this is the book I was going to write next, he said, you're a science writer, not a business writer. Stick to your science. So I quit my agent. Now, an <laughs> author without an agent is not an author anymore. So that was a risky move. And it took me seven years to sell The Genius of the Beast, a radical revision of capitalism, to a publisher. Meanwhile, I was out in the desert. Um, the publishing desert on my own. Um, so <clears throat> the, uh, what was I going to tell you? It was something very important. Saving um, the Western world. Yeah, but so basically I got that book out and then it took me another two or three years of digesting the material for that book before I was able to boil it down to a very simple manifesto. And the trick is, we are told that Western civilization is the most violent in the history of mankind. No, we've increased the peace in the world by a factor of 10. That's a lie. Um, uh, we, we forget that Western civilization invented the concept of human rights, that Western civilization invented the anti-slavery movement. Saudi Arabia had slaves legally until 1962. <laughs> The Western system banished slavery um, starting around 1806 um, and completing the job with the American Civil War in the 1860s. Um, we, we are the civilization that invented environmentalism. We are the civilization that invented a concept of the planet and a concept of tending to it. All of the things that those who attack Western civilization as the worst in humankind, all of those things come from Western civilization. Without Western civilization, they would disappear. Imagine if we were to be incorporated in Vladimir Putin's Russian civilization, which he believes should be universal. All those things, um, human rights, um, the right to protest, um, the environmental movement, 
the care about the planet, all of those things would disappear instantly. Instantly. If we were taken over by the Chinese, all of those things would disappear instantly. These are all the fruits of Western civilization. So now there's a Howard Bloom Institute. It started about a year and a half ago. It started based on the film, The Grand Unified Theory of Howard Bloom. And I was talking about a Howard Bloom Institute and a bunch of people came to me and said, I want to be a part of it. So they are a part of it. We now have it. And there are two main projects that the Howard Bloom Institute is working on right now. One of them is omnology, which is a discipline for the omniversely curious. Um, it's there so that when your dad sits you down in your sophomore year of college and says, uh, Tommy, you're interested in art history, you're interested in neuroscience, and you're interested in film, you got to make up your mind. Are you going to be an art historian? Are you going to be a neuroscientist? Or are you going to be a filmmaker? And it's there so you can say, Dad, fuck you. Um, I have three curiosities. Those are the source of my passion. I intend to follow them for as long as they, I am passionate about them. And then when all of my friends and I hit the age of 40 and my friends, uh, my female friends are, are um, planning elaborate divorces so they can find out who they really are. And the men are buying little sports cards and picking up lawns and cheating on their wives because these people have no idea of why they are on planet Earth. I will just be returning from the wilderness of my multiple curiosities with my first answers. And while my friends feel they are at the end of their lives, I will know I'm at the beginning of mine. So that's omnology. And Kepler Space University in Florida has us building a course on omnology, which is our toehold into the realm of academia and legitimizing the concept of omnology so that kids who are truly promiscuously curious have a place to live, have a place to justify themselves. And the other project is Why Save Western Civilization? And Harry Hamlin, the actor who was voted the sexiest man on the planet in 1987 in People magazine and who founded TAE Technologies, uh, a nuclear fusion company, um, is, is a part of it. Um, the former head of the House uh, Science Committee um, is a part of it. Um, and it's just beginning. I mean, it's a difficult task. And it, we're just beginning. I mean, I feel we're just beginning with it, even though we've been I've been batting my head up against it for six months, uh, trying to figure out what our next step is. But we will have uh, probably we'll have a, a superstar or a star summit on saving Western civilization, probably in October, and it'll be a virtual event. Um, and for anybody listening, I'll put the links to the Howard Bloom Institute uh, in the description of the video. To the back to the stats you were pointing out earlier, um, the tenfold increase in peace and wealth, adding forty years to lifespan. If if we don't know how we did it, but it's there. I mean, right. you look back at data and you go, it's there. I mean, we just don't. We didn't have it. You know, it wasn't a centralized thing. It was more of like the invisible hand what could we possibly do to ensure we do it again if we don't know how we did it in the first place? Or is it just repeating what we've been doing for 200 years? Just Well, in the, in the genius of the beast, I explained that the Western system operates on a dynamic balance. That is where elements are competing against each other, but their competition is really a collaboration in disguise. Mm -hmm. And it's a competition between government, private industry, and the protest industry. And the protest industry has been around as long as the Industrial Revolution has been around. In fact, the uh, anti-slavery movement, which was the first step in developing a protest industry, um, started in 1860 to 1880, I mean, 1760 to 1780, um, in the days when the Industrial Revolution was just getting its start. And it takes advantage of industrial revolution technologies like the printing press. Um, so these three elements, the uh, government, the protest industry, and uh, private industry, have to be in balance. If one of them grows overly large, it poisons the system. 
And that includes if the protest industry becomes overly large, bang, there goes the Western system. If government takes over everything, bang, there goes the Western system. If business takes over everything, bang, there goes the Western system. They need to be in a perpetual dynamic balance. Equilibrium, yeah. Yeah, it's like when you are on a bicycle. If um, you lean too far to the left, you end up on the ground. If you lean too far to the right, you're on the ground. You have to maintain a constantly shifting balance between left and right in order to stay upright. And in, in uh, the history of American civilization, it's called a system of checks and balances. Um, but I've never been able to find out where that metaphor checks and balances come from. It sounds like it's weights on a scale, but who knows? At any rate, we've got to get across the importance of respecting these three things. I mean, we entered an age of kind of uh, um, cyberspace uh, piracy, piracy. Um, in the 1970s, 1980s, and 1990s. We all got this intoxicating sense of absolute freedom from taking over an entirely new space where, unlike the American West, we did not have to vanquish a competing yeah. civilization where we hurt no one, and that was cyberspace. And we got this incredible sense of personal empowerment from it. But guess where cyberspace came from? DARPA. It came from the government. <laughs> it came from DARPA, the Defense Advanced Research Projects Agency. Um, and guess where the microprocessors that we used to actually democratize computing and so that you could have a computer in your lap where, or on your desktop. Where did we get those from? We got them from government developments. Um, so... Private industry dearly needs the government in order to plow forward and take advantage of vast new landscapes of human possibility, which is really what business is all about. One of the things in the genius of the beast, one of the basic messages is the basic mandate of capitalism is be messianic, save, lift, and upgrade your neighbor, save, lift, and empower one neighbor, and you get a dollar. A hundred neighbors, you get a hundred dollars. A hundred million people, you get a hundred million dollars. Um, without the votes of people saying, I want this, whatever it is that you're offering, uh, you're nowhere. Because a corporation is totally based on its cash flow. And every penny of that cash flow comes from somebody who feels he, he or she needs your product and it, that it empowers him or her. So um, we, we are, industry is perpetually taking advantage of government breakthroughs and using them to produce new empowerments that start with the super rich, only they can afford it in the beginning, and then trickles down so that it reaches all of us and uplifts, empowers, and upgrades all of us. So that perception of things is what this Why Save Western Civilization project is all about. Now we have to figure out how to take it further. And I hope it doesn't take me another uh, 12 years um, the way the genius of the beast did to finally percolate uh, down to a manifesto, a simple manifesto, because <clears throat> in two weeks I will be, ah, I have a frog <coughs> in my throat. So in two weeks, I will be 79 years old. I'll be on the lip of my 80s. Now, I want my 80s to be the most richly productive period of my life. Hell yeah. That's not totally under my control. Nonetheless, I don't necessarily have 12 years sure. to develop this project. But it's vital we get this project off the ground because if you read the, the, the history text of Howard Zinn, which is pretty much permeated all over the place, uh, or if you read um, the essays of Noam Chomsky, they will tell you capitalism is evil mm -hmm. and that Western civilization is evil. And the only reason they can say that is because they're living within Western civilization, which encourages a protest industry. That's the only reason they can say that. And under the surface, whether they know it or not, what they are after is a Marxist communist state.
mm-hmm. because they're basing their ideas on Marxism. They're taking Marxism very seriously. Well, Marxism is one of the biggest frauds ever pulled off on humankind. It's the thought of a bourgeois kid, the son of a bourgeois father. His father was a Jewish lawyer um, rebelling against his dad. So why has Marxism reigned vigorous for the last 160 to 180 years? Because not because what it says is true, but because it provides a weapon for those who need to rebel against their parents' generation. Um, and, but it's not true. How do we know that? Because two great Marxist experiments were tried in the 20th century. Um, and each of them killed between 40 and 60 million people. Each of them, meaning they killed a combined total of over 80 million people. And this was, this, these experiments were tried in Russia and they were tried in China. And it was demonstrated that they do not work um, because they don't understand whatever magic is in the Western system because they destroy the protest industry totally because they almost destroy private or they do destroy private industry and all they leave is the government. Why did, why did Lenin end up producing a revolution that was all about entrenching a bureaucracy? That's really what communism was about under Lenin, um, making all things answer to a, demo, to, to a bureaucracy who in turn answered to the strong man in charge. Um, because Lenin's father was a bureaucrat. Lenin's father ran several school districts in the old Russia, Tsarist Russia. And in essence, what Lenin did was repeat what his father had done um, on a much bigger scale, using Marxism as an excuse. And it failed horribly, absolutely horribly. Um, Fidel Castro, why did he do what he did following the Leninist model, taking over every piece of property in the country and, and running it himself, basically, um, saying, I am the only one who can do this, the way that Donald Trump said, I'm the only one. I alone can fix this. Yes, I alone can fix this. His father had been uh, a plantation owner, and his father had tons of peasants working under him. And ultimately, Fidel Castro, in the name of a revolution, made his father, the system within which he grew up, the plantation system, national. He made all of Cuba a giant plantation answering to one plant plantation master, um, to Fidel Castro. Um, so all of these people have wrecked the systems um, that give us everything we've got today. And, and the Western system has been so successful that once upon a time, at the end of the 1800s, somebody invented a way of creating a carriage that would transport itself without horses. Um, and at first, it was a plaything of the rich. Only the very rich could afford it. And then, starting around 1905, it began to trickle down to the middle class. Today, and it was the first big machine, the only machine people had owned before that were clocks. This was the first really big machine that normal people could own, and it's the automobile. Today, we regard having an automobile as something that even those we think are mired in poverty can possess. That's an astonishing leap. This is a piece of machinery only the super rich could once afford, and that simply didn't exist, so no one could afford it before that. I'm discovering, uh, I haven't done any research on this, but those who feel they are in poverty own computers these days. That's another astonishing empowerment. Um, the, the computer was such a rare commodity in the 1950s that the head of IBM said, 
we may build these things, but we'll only have customers for five of them. Why? Because the computers were so expensive. And now I'm talking to you through one sitting on my lap, and you're talking to me through one sitting on your desk. That's fucking astonishing. And only the Western system has ever done this kind of thing. So kill the Western system or kill capitalism, and you kill the very thing that put the Nikes on your feet that you're protest marching with, um, that allowed you to organize this protest march uh, with texts. On um, iPhones, on, on, yeah, a, on exactly. a 5G network. Yeah, right. And allows you to call home to tell your mom, I'm in Washington, I'm marching. I'm um, protesting. And, yeah, protesting. And uh, and yeah, and you're in a country safe enough to do it. <laughs> to and protest. look at the January 6th insurrectionists. Yeah. They were busy shooting the insurrection on their iPhones. Or That's their what I'm phones. saying smartphones you're doing in a country free enough and safe enough that there aren't car bombs and local warlords going off so you're free to protest and talk about how evil the nation is right now we could argue um easily that those who own cars and personal computers or laptop computers are not the poor the poor can't afford those things but tommy i've probably told you this story before i had a friend named Derek. Derek was the homeless man He used to beg in front of the key food supermarket um, a couple of blocks from my house. Derek was certifiably insane, um, but was a sweet man in certain respects. And Derek had privileges that even the wealthiest person in England did not have in 1851. How do we know that? Because the richest man in England was a techno freak. And he love technologies. So he invited all the countries of the world to send their most advanced technologies to be shown off in London. And he designed a building in which to have this event, a building that looked unlike anything anyone had ever seen before. Um, It was all done with totally new technologies, ribs of steel and sheets of glass. Um, And the United States sent its uh, interchangeable gun parts system that was called the American system at the time. And China sent or Russia sent an envelope, a folding machine and all kinds of amazements showed up. But this was the great exposition of 1851. Then the richest man in England who would put all this together came down with some sort of a stomach problem. It killed him at the age of 41. My friend, his name, by the way, was Prince Albert. He was Queen Victoria's husband. Um, And my friend Derek, up in front of the supermarket, begging, if he came down with a stomach problem, he simply walked five blocks to the Methodist hospital, put himself in the emergency room. They would give him an antibiotic, and he'd come out again. So Derek, despite being homeless, lived to the age of 72, 30 years longer than the richest man in England was able to live in the 1850s. Um, Plus, he had a smartphone. Plus, he had a bicycle. Do you know what Prince Albert would have done to get his hands on a smartphone and a bicycle? And they were simply totally unavailable to him because they did not exist yet. And what civilization brought these bizarre empowerments, these things that add to our powers exponentially into existence? The Western system. China's economy did not begin to take off until Deng Xiaoping in 1980 said, let them get rich, meaning let them become capitalists. Um, And then the Chinese system became the fastest growing economy literally in the history of the world. Um, Why is it stalling out right now? Uh, Partly because of COVID, but because Xi Jinping thinks he can run the economy better than the capitalists can. And Xi Jinping was furious about a guy named Jack Ma. Oh, yeah. uh, Is he the Alibaba guy? Yes, the Alibaba guy. Because Jack Ma had become even more famous than he was, than Xi Jinping was. So he eviscerated Jack Ma's businesses, and he started savaging all of the new tech businesses. 
And the result is that China's growth has slowed down dramatically. And China is no longer, China may remain the number two economy in the world and not become what it was on the track to be, the number one economy in the world. Um, all because these top-down systems that don't use a dynamic balance, that don't allow a protest industry, that don't allow private industry, um, those systems are breaking down. Um, we hope that our president is wise enough to give every weapon to, to Volodymyr Zelensky in the Ukraine that he asks for. Why? Because Russia wants to do something that's in line with its history. It wants a great man who will make Russia great again and, and will do it the old-fashioned way, killing hundreds of thousands of people to expand its geographic territory. Um, if we don't stop this guy, Vladimir Putin, um, in the Ukraine, he will take over the remaining states he put on his wish list in November, which was all of the Eastern European nations, all six of them. Um, containing something like 40% of the population of Europe. Um, he announced that was his intention, um, that all of these had to be uh, part of the sphere of influence of Russia. But Russia under Putin, first of all, Russia for a very long time has operated its economy like this. You start a new business, it begins to take off. A couple of guys come to visit you in your office. They explain that the state wants to own 50% of your business. Um, you don't want them to own 50% of your business. Owning your whole business is what's motivated you to produce remarkable things to begin with. But they simply let you know, well, a whole bunch of people have died mysteriously when they've gone against the state. Um, and you end up having to turn over half your business. So people are not encouraged to develop new businesses. And Russia lives off of oil wealth, period. Um, and uh, without the three elements of the Western system working in a dynamic balance, the government, private industry, and the protest industry, Russia's economy is not going anywhere. Its economy is the size of, it, it is the biggest nation in the world, Russia. It spans 11 time zones. No other nations come anywhere close. When Vladimir Putin is saying, I need living space, on my borders, um, or I'm under threat, well, borders are always going to keep growing. Then you'll just have new borders and even more enemies. He is lying because Russia is the biggest geographic nation in the world. And, um, and, and, but Russia is not going anywhere. Um, economically, it has an economy the size of Italy's which is a, the size of a fly speck compared to the size yeah. of Russia. It right? has an economy that roughly the size of Texas. Yeah. So, um, and, but we need, with whatever ferocity we can muster, to defend the Western system and stop this anti-capitalist bullshit. Because the anti-capitalist bullshit would take the shoes off the feet of the protesters would take the jeans off the legs of the protesters, would take the cell phones out of the pockets of the protesters, and would take the means of transportation to go someplace to throw a demonstration out of the reach of the protesters, and they don't know it. It would take the 747 away from, from the president. Yeah, it, right. It would take it all. Right. So we can't afford that if we're going to increase the peace in the world by another factor of 10. If we're going to cre increase the IQ by another 35, if we're going to increase the human lifespan by another 40 years, we simply cannot afford to get rid of capitalism or of government um, the way the uh, libertarians would like to um, and some Republicans would like to and the protest industry, which people like Xi Jinping and Vladimir Putin don't think should exist so on that kind of on that note could you could you comment on uh i think as of yesterday or as of today or sometime in the last week and today's thursday june 9th 2022 
we just sent, I think, a dozen units of the National Guard to Taiwan. Do you see an equal importance in defending Taiwan as uh, with defending Ukraine? I I do. Um, the uh, Chinese, since 2005, have been sending high-ranking officials to South America, and they've been signing um, strategic partnerships. Belt and Road Initiative. Yeah, well, and but strategic partnerships is more militarily inclined. Okay. Okay. Um, with the South American nations. They've been doing this for 17 years now. Um, And what in the world do you think they're after? Why are they doing this? To isolate us and encircle us. Um, We once contained Russia. That was our policy. It was called containment. It was building up stuff around their borders so they couldn't go any further. They'd already uh, taken over militarily the Eastern European countries And they wanted to take over all of Europe. And we stopped them through a policy of containment. Well, guess who the Chinese are trying to encircle and contain? Us, the Chinese. Once upon a time, George Bush, the elder, came up with a phrase, new world order. Well, the Chinese are very overtly talking about, over and over again, establishing a new world order. And what will be new about this new world order? Well, the hegemon will no longer be able to rule. And who, pray tell, is the hegemon? The United States of America. So they're trying to weaken us and do it so slowly that we don't get alarmed. Um, so, and, and they've just signed a deal with the Solomon Islands, uh, a strategic partnership. And the Solomon Islands are way out there in the Pacific somewhere. So there, so with that, with the South China Sea, which they promised they only wanted to develop for peaceful reasons back around 2010 and are now studded with artificial islands they created carrying military bases. Um, the Solomon Island allows them to project power further into the Pacific. And they will continue extending that. And their stepchild, um, Kim Jong-un in uh, North Korea, is actively developing ICBMs that can reach every American city with nuclear warheads and actively developing the warheads. And he's made it clear that his intention at this point is to start a new round of nuclear testing. Why? Because his warheads are too big and he needs them to be smaller so that they fit easily um, into an ICBM. So the other side is trying to encircle us. I would prefer that we encircle them. And Taiwan, we've been traditionally allied with, uh, with Taiwan um, since I was a baby um, or since I was a young child, my whole life. So I'm accustomed to Taiwan being part of our sphere of influence. Um, and so it is, yes, it's important that, and look at Taiwan. Taiwan has, right now the world is shuff, suffering from a shortage mm-hmm. of microchips. Entire auto factories have had to shut down their plants for weeks because they didn't have enough microchips to build their cars. Um, That's been true of Japanese. It's been true of Americans. It's been true all over the world. Um, The biggest chip maker in the world is TSMC, um, Taiwan Semiconductor. And that's a Taiwanese company. Um, What will happen to TSMC? if the Chinese resort to force to take over Taiwan, um, it'll be taken out. I mean, they want it, the Chinese want it, but if the war, if there's a violent war, uh, look what's happened in the Ukraine, entire cities have been been obliterated. And yet uh, Vladimir Putin still hasn't taken over all of the Ukraine, which was his goal. Um, So, we need to maintain the balance of power in Taiwan. But the most immediate threat is Vladimir Putin. And frankly, Vladimir Putin has been a role model who's been on the cover of magazines like Forbes as the most powerful man in the world for at least 10 years. Um, Donald Trump, who right now is trying to steal the 2014 election, um, working every day at it. Donald Trump, follows Vladimir Putin's role model. He worships Vladimir Putin. Um, Xi Jinping 
follows the Chinese role model. There's always been an emperor. But Vladimir Putin's role model is important. Um, leaders all over the world are following Vladimir Putin's role model. And the number of democracies, which was growing steadily until about seven years ago, is now shrinking. It's now shrinking. And if we allow it to continue shrinking, we will not have these miraculous empowerments, um, like the bicycle, um, like the smartphone, um, like these incredible walking shoes. Um, we just won't have them anymore. And that is what happens to our obligation to our great great grandkids. It is snuffed out. Snuffed out. So we shall see what happens because Donald Trump wants to wants to establish a dynasty so that if when he's dead, um, Donald Jr. can become president, that the Constitution doesn't count um, and they do everything they're talking about doing in the name of the Constitution. All things that are unconstitutional, they're invoking the power legitimacy of the Constitution. Um, who was it that said eternal vigilance is the price of liberty? I was going to say, what was that Henry Kissinger quote? I think uh, the illegal we do immediately. The unconstitutional takes a little longer. Oh my. Oh God. <laughs> That's a good one. <laughs> so, so we're, look, we are always at a choice point in history. Um, the past is already fixed. We know what it was. We have no idea what's coming up. All we can do is guess. So, there's this brilliant paragraph. It was the best of times. It was the worst of times. It was the time of light. It was the time of darkness. It was the time of organization. It was the time of chaos. I'm paraphrasing. Um, and that's from uh, Charles Dickens, um, from A Tale of Two Cities. And no matter when you read it, whether you were reading it in 1880, uh, 1980, or 2022, it always reads like today. There are forces that are opposed to each other. And it is our job to recognize the value of the force that we accidentally have created, Western civilization, and to make sure that it is maintained, um, that it is not snuffed out. Donald Trump will snuff it out, period. Could you maybe comment on sort of a third front? Um, earlier today, I interviewed a, a, a former CIA analyst who I've had on here like a million times, Claire Lopez, and she was talking about Iran centrifuges and uh, the Mossad's growing concern and kind of being pushed into a corner where Israel will have to act. Could that be seen as yet another front of this defending uh, the West, defending democracy, be it Ukraine, Taiwan? Would that well, be You have to remember... Front? that one of the last great attempts to establish a new civilization on earth that would control everything um, was under Adolf Hitler. Mm -hmm. And when, as soon as the Muslims saw that Adolf Hitler wanted to exterminate all of the world's Jews, um, they realized that this was in total conformity to their religion. It, Mohammed had called for such things. Um, and they rushed to Berlin mm -hmm. to ally themselves with Adolf Hitler. Well, those people still have the same belief system that exterminating the Jews is a holy deed that is demanded in the Quran, which says the Jews are the sons of apes and monkeys or apes and pigs. Um, so we have been focusing on the wrong thing. I think that the murder of Jamal Khashoggi when, as soon as we talk about the murder of Jamal Khashoggi, we talk about him being cut up in a thousand pieces and uh, all kinds of hor horrific things. Where does that information about him being cut up in a hundred pieces come from? It comes from the intelligence agency in Turkey, which made up an entire story about how Jamal Khashoggi was killed in the Saudi embassy. And we have bought it. And it has been used for a simple purpose. There was a struggle going on at the time between Saudi Arabia, heading the, the Sunni countries, um, and Iran, a Shia country. A struggle literally for control of Islam, for the whole of the Islamic world. 
And it was playing itself out in proxy battles in places like Yemen um, and Syria. And, um, oh God, I lost my train of thought again. Um, Iran, Israel, so, so yes, so there's, there's, there's been this proxy war going on in the Middle East between Syria and Iran. Um, and we, because of this piece of information, no one has ever been able to check out and no one has bothered about Jamal Khashoggi. We turned our backs on Saudi Arabia. Why have oil prices gone so high? Why do we have such incredible inflation all over the world? Because all over the world, there's inflation of 8 and 9%, the same as we have. It's not because of Joe Biden. Joe Biden doesn't rule Italy. Um, <laughs> Joe, Joe Biden doesn't re- rule Taiwan or China. Um, and yet, inflation is taking place all over the world. One of the reasons is because we turned our back on Saudi Arabia, which was our main bulwark against Iran. And the Iranians, the Iranian National Guard, their army, their National Guard, if you read back in the Constitution, has an obligation. And that obligation is to take the Islamic Revolution global. Why? Because once upon a time, God made this earth from a clump of mud. So this is God's world. And once upon a time, um, God made humans from a lump of blood, a clot of blood. So humans belong to Muhammad uh, or to to, uh, God. And Muhammad is God's only true prophet. The only prophet who told the truth about what God had told him. So it is the obligation of the Iranian National Guard to take Islam all over the world, because all humans, whether they're Darwinists, Buddhists, atheists, um, Catholics, Protestants, Jews, all of them belong to God. And all of them are embracing hideously malignant and demonic technology or or belief systems. the belief system, according to is the Islamic revolution and to a good deal of Islam, um, Darwinism is a sin, believing in it. Um, believing in Buddhism is a sin. There's only one thing humans can believe in and be true to the truth and true to justice. It's Islam. So Iran's IRGC, Iranian National Guard Corps, has this obligation to take Islamic revolution worldwide. And it has something called the Quds Brigade. And the Quds Brigade runs at least five proxy armies. Hezbollah, which was founded by Iran in Lebanon. Hamas, um, in the, to the south of Israel. Um, and, uh, and the Houthis um, in Yemen. And they have plans to take these things a good deal farther. So if we, had, if we abandon the Saudis and take the Iranian side of things, which we're doing passively, taking the Iranian side of things, giving Iran the edge, then we're encouraging a truly malevolent movement. And because we turned our back on the Saudis, um, The Saudis got together with the Russians long before this Ukrainian war ever blew up and made a deal. They were going to keep oil supplies tight in order to drive oil prices up. So when Joe Biden tried to call the king of Saudi Arabia or the acting king of Saudi Arabia, um, Mohammed bin Salman, Mohammed bin Salman would not take his call because I'm a Joe Biden voter. I'm a Joe Biden believer, but he has made mistakes. And this is one of his mistakes to take a story that was peddled by the Turks um, as if it were gospel and turn his back on Saudi Arabia, thus encouraging Iran. The same way that the JPOA, the, the nuclear deal, um, empowers Iran gives them lots of extra cash with which to run their proxy armies. Um, 
So we live in a dangerous world, but humans have always lived in a dangerous world. And the world we live in is one-tenth as dangerous as it was 350 years ago. Nonetheless, it's a dangerous place. And on talk shows in Russia over the last two weeks, they've talked about nuking New York. I'm sitting here talking to you from New York. So I'm on their target list for a nuclear weapon. So, yes, it's a dangerous place, but we have to preserve Western civilization and its dynamic balance between three elements, the protest industry, private or government and private industry. It was the best of times. It was the worst of times. Yes, right. It always is. Right. So if we could boil this down to a thesis, and I know that's what you've tried to do. Can you do anything other than just let the Western civilizations flourish? I mean, and you can't dictate how it happens because we still don't know how. It's just a balance between the three. All we know is that defend them militarily so they defend the garden so that the plants can do their things. Right. That's a good way of putting it. I like that. So it seems like that's pretty much as close as we can get to the answer. Well, no, there's one more answer. Okay. Um, we've been peddled the Marxist lens, perceptual lens of people like Howard Zinn and Noam Chomsky. Okay. Um, and it is poisonous. And we've got to get another perception out there. We've got to somehow, well, I used to do perceptual turnarounds in the music industry. I would take an artist like John Mellencamp, who the press loathed and despised, whose albums they reviewed without even taking the cellophane off of the album sleeve. Um, and do a perceptual turnaround, get the get the press to see the positives in Mellencamp. And once they saw the positives in Mellencamp, he became a press darling, period. We need to do the same thing with this perception of Western civilization that I've outlined, that we've increased the human lifespan by 40 years, that we've increased the IQ by 35 points, that we've increased the salary of the lowest paid worker by a factor of seven, um, and that we've increased the peace in the world by a factor of 10. We need to get that across so that every journalist sees through that lens when they're writing a story, and so does every citizen. And I, to accomplish this, spent years cultivating relationships with the key tastemakers um, in the press so that I could call them when I had a story whose truth was just resonant, like John Mellencamp's story, um, and ask them to lunch, and then take an hour and a half to tell them the story. Um, And they exited those lunches not the same as they had entered them. And we need to be able to do this to the press corps and through the press corps to the public. And even I could not have done that at my peak because I only had contacts with the key tastemakers in the music industry, Um, not with the key tastemakers in the political business, in political reporting, the Washington Press Corps, for example. But it's what needs to be done. So the question is, how do you find another Howard Bloom? Um, How do you find somebody who enjoys doing what I used to do and how do you pay him? Um, if you can find him or her. I think it's the same way that we just we just said, you know, protect the garden and let the plants do their things. It's kind of like what you said the Howard Bloom Institute is, is you want to provide the same inspiration to you that those astronomers and scientists of centuries ago reached out to you over time and, and let you know that like, hey, you're not crazy. This right. is the way to go. Like I told right. you, you've done for me. You've made me feel less crazy. And I'm not sure if that's just you and I confirming our own <laughs> sanity, but you've made me feel less crazy. And like what I'm doing is less insane and actually a viable path. I think all you can do is provide the fertile ground. I don't think you can direct me. I don't think you can create the Howard Bloom. I think you have to provide the fertile ground and then it will arise. Right. Well, we hope. And we'll see about getting this message out uh, wherever we can. And if we raise funds, something that I'm totally, that's just outside my area of expertise. Um, But if we do, how do we get it to the right people? Because I had, um, in April of 2020 or 21, 
I had my new book coming out, Einstein, Michael Jackson, and me, a search for soul in the power pits of rock and roll. And I also had a film coming out, uh, Brick TV had made a 62-minute documentary about me, The Grand Unified Theory of Howard Bloom. And this was the perfect opportunity, it seemed to me, to get a lot of press. So I borrowed a bunch of money. Tommy, I hate borrowing money. I just don't do it. But I borrowed a bunch of money and, and um, gave it to what I consider to be the best publicist around um, to get this in the New York Times, the Washington Post, the, the New Yorker, the taste-making publications, 60 minutes, stuff like that. That money was totally wasted. The woman turned out not to be capable of accomplishing much of anything. And so even if you have the money, how do you find the person with the talent, a great explainer, um, to tell people this simple story? Um, well, I don't know. I'm, I'm buffaloed. Um, but that's what ultimately I'm looking for is somebody who we can pay, who's worth it to get out the story and show how it relates to every move in the Ukraine, um, how it relates to every event in the headlines, to the gun problem. Oh God, the gun problem. That's another one. Um, but, uh, and to, to Donald Trump trying to steal the next election. He's got four years to do it, and he's doing it. Every day, he's making a little progress in stealing the next election. Well, I have a small platform, but my platform is always yours to use to get the word out. I'm not sure how much that offer. Uh, that, that's just a pittance. But well, it's, it's important to me. The same way that I make you feel more sane, you make me feel more sane. And we might just be providing an echo each, echo chamber for each other's insanity. <laughs> well, I used to I used to take quotes from Bartlett's familiar quotation quotations and write them on every chalkboard in my school um, before the start of the school day. And one of them was um, everyone's exa- insane except thee and me, and even thou art a little insane. <laughs> I saw I saw a lot less eloquent. But I saw, I think it was like an Instagram post or something like a week ago that said there's an indescribable piece that comes over you when you realize everyone is just as crazy as you are. <laughs> <laughs> it's the insanity that we all know quietly in our head that we don't talk right. about. We just put on the face. How are you doing today? Thank you. See you tomorrow. Right. That madness. Right. It's in everybody. We're all just we're all putting on a good game face, but everybody right. is nuts. <laughs> and right. It does kind of make you feel better. You go, okay, all right. Right, it's true. Yeah. Well, Howard, I would love to have you on again, as always. Not that you have a choice. Well, I enjoy these things, right? So we'll do another one. I thoroughly do enjoy them. Um, I would love to have you come on and and keep... I I think that would be a great episode, The Gun Problem. I've yet to have someone on there for that. I think it'd be great if you... Oh, God. So when people claim the right to own a gun, give them a 1790 musket but take those military weapons the modern assault rifles out of their hands because the founding fathers never envisioned such a thing at all um so there's but but that's not going to happen because uh politics is so screwed up in the united states got you got the private and the and the protest industry you've got right that is the that is the unfortunate equilibrium as you do right you do have push and pull on all these subjects you have people making a lot of money off of these things right well because there's because there are two machines you can own look nobody could own a machine back in kit prince albert's day but now there are two expensive machines you can own each of which are three each of which give you a sense of control and a sense of control is vital to the human hormonal system Mm. um and those gadgets those machineries are automobiles computers and guns guns give you a sense of empowerment um and empowerment does astonishing things um, for the human soul. But unfortunately, guns kill. When Steve Scalise goes in front of a TV camera and says, on 9-11, two airplanes were used to bring down the World Trade Center. 
Have we outlawed airplanes? No. Well, airplanes are not designed to kill. Guns are designed with only one purpose, to kill. So should humans have life and death rights over the lives of their fellow human beings? According to the right, yes, just like, well, I mean, yeah, the, the other big thing is they're, they're putting the government in our face by banning abortion. Mm. Um, so the people on the right um, have a lot of flaws in their arguments. And the people on the left, the extreme left, want a communist utopia. Well, communism, don't they remember the two communist utopias that were done on a huge scale and turned out to be communist torture chambers? Genocidal. Yeah. Well, really no silver linings in this podcast, I suppose. <laughs> no, the silver lining is that we have a civilization that has accomplished astonishing things. Yeah. And it's our job to make sure that this civilization continues to uh, to achieve astonishing things, because, as you said, we we have to basically put up a fence to defend the plants and then let the plants grow. And that's what the Western system does in ways far more remarkable than any other system on Earth. It grows human talents. It allows us to to say out loud that we will educate every single child in creativity. Yeah. Every single child in creativity, do you think that would have happened in Russia in 1850? No, because the vast bulk of humans were serfs, and they were, in essence, slaves, and their intelligence was ruled out. Um, tapping their intelligence was ruled out. The democratic system, the Western system, looks at every individual to see their potential talent the potential way in which they could punch open the envelope of human possibility just a little bit or a lot further. Hmm. It is a noble obligation to push forward this, this system that I was born into, that you were born into. And it is kind of, it's an easy obligation in, in a sense. Right. You just have to put up the fence around the garden. Nobody's right. asking you to understand double helicy plant DNA replicating. They're just saying, hey, hey, jackass, just put up, just put up the fence. Right. Let the, well, it'll do it. So it'll do its own thing. But okay. So look, look at this on a cosmic level. Cosmic, the cosmos is an astonishing innovator. The cosmos is an astonishing maker of breakthroughs. Once upon a time, there was nothing from that. Nothing came a sheet of space, time and speed. What? Space, time and speed. Where the hell did they come from? And from that sheet, that expanding sheet of space, time, and speed precipitated the first things, quarks. And then quarks came together. And when you got three quarks together, they either formed a neutron or a proton. Huh? Where the fuck did those qualities come from, a neutron and proton? So this cosmos has been inventing breakthroughs over and over again, ever since the beginning. The cosmos has given birth to you and me to speed up or breakthrough making process. And when we invent something, when Steve Jobs invents something like the smartphone, that's the cosmos feeling out the domain of the smartphone and all of its powers for the very first time anywhere that we know of in the cosmos. That's the cosmos engine of creativity. We are the cosmos engine of creativity incarnate. But that creativity works best within the Western system, government, private industry, and the protest industry. So, yeah, it's defend the garden. It's right. let, the, let the simulation run. Yeah, exactly. The, the simulation has clearly shown it has superseded human intelligence. Right. And, and if we ever see it doing something that's horrible to our fellow human beings, and went Stop away, invent a way around that. Yeah. Stop it. The protest industry is very good at spotting these things. Yeah. Well, Howard, as always, you have successfully cooked my brain. <laughs> That's I, wonderful. I, I, as always, I'm I'm short circuiting after talking to you for an hour. Right. Got to put it on the back burner. Um, well, Howard, 
let's wrap this one up. I would love to, uh, as always, do another one, and we we hopefully we won't play back and forth tag like you and I are both guilty of this pastime. Right. And, um, yeah. As always, I'll put the links to all your books in the descriptions. If anybody's watching this podcast, I recommend just going into the library and typing in Bloom. You can go back and see all the episodes we've done. We've co- covered several of your books. And uh, I, I think they're all incredible conversations. Obviously, I'm biased because I like you and I like my podcast. <laughs> but or I'll can, also remember to send me the URL. Yes, sir. And yeah, and I'll also put uh, Howard Bloom Institute in there as well. Your website, all that good stuff. Go check out his work. If you haven't heard it, then you've been living under a rock. But my personal favorite is The God Problem. And uh, I highly recommend that. And uh, second best, I'd say maybe is Lucifer, uh, The Lucifer Principle, which I also love. But, Terrific. Um, I love those choices. Okay, I will no, let you go for... Excuse me, Global Brain. Global Brain's my favorite. Oh, Global Brain, okay. And, and then God Problem and then Lucifer. Right. Principle, second and third. Sorry, I had to, had to make that right. connection. Global Brain right. is, the, is the best. Um, right. All right, Howard. I'll send you this email. I'll send you an email when it's up and it should be up sometime later this evening and we'll schedule another one. Okay. Terrific. Have a good night, Tommy. Thank you so much, Howard. I love you, brother. Stay safe, everybody. God.